0: Um, my name is Phil, and I'm the ministry director here at St. Pete's, and it's a joy to be with you. And i got to be honest, I love when churches have little mistakes like that. It reminds us we're not a production, we're not a theater, we're church, and it's messy, and mistakes are going to happen, and I thought it was beautiful. And I thought we should have just kept doing both at the same time and just saw what happened. Maybe what, from now on, we'll pass out, like, half the people will get Apostles' Creed, half of the people will get Nicene Creed, and we'll just see what happens. Um, It was great. I love that. Um, Well, we're in the middle of a series here at St. Peter's called The Work of the People, and it's an exploration of liturgy, of the movements, the creeds, the prayers, the songs, the confessions we make, and how through liturgy and liturgical worship we can encounter God's goodness and be shaped and formed by it, because being an Anglican church, we are marked by a liturgical order to our service, you could say, And Rob is waving the binder at me that the grade four to sixes can be dismissed for their Bible time. So please uh, go with Rob. Thank you, Rob. Um, But we have this opportunity with liturgical worship to be shaped in a very unique and interesting way. Um, and It's been a huge excitement, a huge joy so far where we've been. Rob and Grady, um, they introduced us to a beautiful paradox, and they didn't even mean to. Um, When Rob started two weeks ago, he talked about how worship, at worship we are nourished, we drink from living water, we are restored, we experience God's goodness through worship. And then Grady last week, as he introduced us to the prayer of preparation, he reminded us that at worship, we sacrifice. We give of our spiritual sacrifices during worship. So two things are happening at once. We both drink of living water, and at the same time, we pour ourselves out in worship. And I think that's the best way we can start this series. As we worship together, we are being shaped and formed to be a people who are nourished and shaped and formed to be a people who pour ourselves out to God and to one another. And it's been a huge gift to start there. And today we're going to continue this exploration of liturgy and specifically focusing on what does it mean to be a believing people? What does it mean to say these creeds, to testify to these statements and be formed by it? But before that, Let me read our text one more time and let me pray as well. I'll pray to start. Father God, creator and sustainer, we give thanks to be a church um, in the middle of downtown to worship, to praise and honor you, and to be filled with your presence. I ask that today, um, in this sermon, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would soften us to, to listen to the good news that you have for us, the gospel of how you love and care for us, how you've come and died for us, how you are forgiving and redeeming us. I pray that you shape us to be a people who believe, and in those places where we struggle with unbelief, that you would help us and encourage us, Lord. In your name, amen. Well, let me read our scripture readings uh, once more, and I have to be honest, when I was originally preparing this sermon, I picked five texts, and I was building a sermon off all of them, and then I thought the scripture reader, and you, and, and Derek would be annoyed with me for having too much scripture, but, so I narrowed it down to these two, um, and these are really a launching point. It's not a traditional expository sermon in the same way, but they're going to be our groundwork, our basis of where we start. So, Romans 10, verse 9 to 15 says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the, de- from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they who have How then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them, and how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And in Hebrews 11, verse 1 to 3, it says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made by what is visible. This is the word of the Lord. Well, just a few weeks ago, Deandra and our good friend Amelia, we went on a vacation to Hawaii, um, and it was actually one of my first real vacations in almost five years, and it was incredible. If you have not been to Hawaii yet, I highly recommend it. But as we were preparing for our vacation, I was filled with a little bit of worry because Deandra um, is horribly afraid of the ocean. We have lived in Vancouver for almost seven years, and Dee just went in the ocean for the first time in August. In, In Vancouver. She'd been in the ocean somewhere else, but I was really worried, like, she might not go in the ocean. And she might just sit on the beach and read books while Amelia and I snorkel and stand up paddleboard and all this sort of stuff. But Dee, very bravely, day one, faced her fear and went into the ocean. Um, And there were no killer whales. There were no jellyfish. There was a shark at one point. But it was just a small one. Um, And we just didn't tell Dee about it at first. It was fine. But she bravely went in and faced her fear. But my favorite one, my favorite moment was we were at Napoli Bay. I think that's how you say it. We were there and we rented a stand-up paddleboard and that day the waves were a little choppy after the reef. So you had to swim out with the stand-up paddleboard to get to more calm waters. And so Dee and I are swimming the paddleboard out together and as we're swimming, I begin hearing her talk to herself. Not to me, she just starts talking and she goes, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I'm just swimming beside her being like, what is going on? And then finally I ask, like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Why? And I was like, well, you've said you're okay about 12 times now. She's like, oh, I didn't realize I was saying it out loud, but maybe if I say it to myself enough, I'll believe it. And I loved that. Maybe if I say it to myself enough, I'll believe it. And the whole vacation, Amelia, D and I were always joking, like, where's the first sermon illustration? And it was there. Because as, as we were swimming out, I thought to myself, and as D said this, Maybe if I say it enough, I'll believe it. I thought about the man who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And my assumption is that for many of us, that is our feeling and our engagement with faith. We we believe, but help us with our unbelief. And so when we come to Paul's words here in Romans, and he tells us to believe in our heart and confess, it seems so easy. But we believe. Help us with our unbelief. We struggle. It's it's a challenge to believe. We feel like D in the water, being completely afraid of everything there, but saying, we're okay, we're okay, we're okay. Maybe I'll believe I am okay. We confess these words every week, but we struggle to believe them on Monday and Tuesday. So what do we do with that? How do we struggle with these two tensions? Well, years ago when I first came to St. Pete's, I met with Roger Revel, one of the former pastors, and we talked all about Anglican liturgy and service, and and I just asked him all sorts of questions. And one of the things he said really stood out to me. It was quite beautiful. He said, on Sundays, we practice our faith. On Sundays, we practice our faith. And he said, I mean that in the most literal way possible. Like a football player going on the pitch and practicing their dribble, they, we are practicing our faith. We're embodying it. We're living it out. Dee is laughing at me about a football reference because I don't know sports. But um, we, we try to move our belief from our head into our heart, our hands, our muscles. We go through the motions again and again to, to learn to believe. And every week, we come together and we say the creeds. And as this week, we said both the apostles and Nicene at the same time. And we say one of the two, and they're they're similar, but they're shaping our belief. We're running through drills of faith to begin to learn our faith more and more. And I would say this. um, There's a couple parts that when Paul says saved, because he says, if you confess with your lips and if you believe, you will be saved. And I think when we hear that, what we often hear is, well, I'll go to heaven when I die. And as N.T. Wright puts it, heaven is important, but it's not the end of the story, and it's not the most important thing. Salvation, being saved, has to do with here and now. To be saved means to be liberated from our bondage, our slavery, to sin, to death, to addiction. It is to be saved here and now, and also one day. And to him, confessing our faith, has something to do with being liberated, with experiencing this freedom and this salvation. And I'd also say this, when we say the creeds, we don't just say it for those of us who are Christians. We say it for those of us who are not Christian in the room, who are exploring faith, who are curious. We are open and honest with what we believe. We say it every single week. And like Paul said, we have to say it so that we, those of us who are Christian, and though can preach our faith, to those of us who are not. We're giving an opportunity to say, we believe this, would you like to as well? And so what I want to do today is I want to move through the Apostles' Creed, because the Nicene Creed's a little longer, Um, and I want to go chunk by chunk and ask, what does it mean to believe these things that we say? What does it mean to repeat them week in and week out? Is there weight that we should follow here? And I think that saying them each week, analyzing it, has an opportunity to help us believe a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. How does that sound? You with me? Okay, I'm getting the thumbs up, and that's all I need. Well, um, and I want to put one thing. I forgot to say this. If you're not a Christian and you're journeying with us and exploring faith, you are so happy and excited for you to journey with us. And I would say lean into these words. Question them. Wrestle with them. Because every week we say, if they're not your words, don't say them. But I, I would say we should say, if they're not your words question them. Ask why some people in the room get up and confess these words, because they have weight and power. But anyways, the, the creeds, the apostles and Nicene creeds, they were formalized between the third and fourth century, but they would have been coming into existence for several hundred years before that. They had been growing through conversations, through prayers, through church services. They come from scripture and are formalized into more formal language, you could say. The primary theory uh, is that the Apostles' Creed predates the Nicene Creed, and you can kind of tell due to what controversies it's, it's talking about. And there's a great myth I came across that the Apostles' Creed was written, like each of the 12 apostles gave a line of the Apostles' Creed. And though I wish that was true, it is not. Um, it was formalized as actually a, a baptism rite that would be said before baptism and interrogated to which you would respond, I do believe these things. Um, but one of the main reasons they were formed was to combat controversies and heresies that were coming up in the church, things like Arianism and um, Gnosticism, which said Jesus isn't the Son of God, or Jesus didn't really come in bodily form, or the Trinity is not real, and so you can see that the, the creeds, they're responding to these questions, to these doubts that were rising up in the church, and one really important thing with the creeds is that the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, they are affirmed by almost every single denomination in the world and throughout all of history. There's been some tension here and there, but Catholics and Anglicans and Baptists and Pentecostals and Methodists and all the other laundry lists of denominations, for the most part, agree and affirm the Apostles' Creed. So when you ask, what do Christians believe? Well, this, this statement is—it sum, summarizes the majority of our beliefs. It's the core of what we believe. So with that, let's dive in, because I'm already probably running long, but let's do this. So, the Apostles' Creed, it starts with a very important statement. I believe. I believe. The Nicene Creed makes it communal. It says, we believe, but the Apostles' Creed says, I believe. And what does it really mean to believe something? The writer of Hebrews, he says, now faith, or belief, is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. And this is important because belief is different than knowledge. Belief is different than knowledge. Do you know or believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4? You know 2 plus 2 equals 4. You can repeat it again and again and again. You have two MMs, you have two MMs, you add them together, you have two MMs because you ate two of them. So you would have had four (laughs) MMs. 2 plus 2 is 4. It's repeatable. You can see it again and again and again. But let me ask you this. Do you know or believe the moon landing happened? (laughs) We got one, okay. Here's the thing, you don't know if the moon landing happened. You believe it did, you can go off on the testimony of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, you can watch video evidence that may or may not have been doctored, you can go through the records and you can say, I believe the moon landing happened or I don't believe. I just want to say, I do believe the moon landing happened. (laughs) I am not a conspiracy theorist, though they may have some validity. But we believe that the moon landing happened based off evidence, but we don't 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt know for ourselves. We believe it. We intellectually assent to an idea of which we do not have 100% proof for. And that could be an interesting tension and something something for us to wrestle with. Because when I was a kid, my dad would be like, you know that Jesus rose from the dead. And I'd be like, I thought I believed it, but now I'm not sure. And the truth is when we go to faith, we believe it. We don't know 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt. It takes faith, it takes belief to trust in the witness and the statement of others. And so part of belief is an intellectual ascent to an idea of which we do not have 100% proof for. But another part of belief is trust. It takes trust to believe something. So when you make marriage vows, when you commit your life to another person, what you're saying is, I believe that you will be faithful to me, and I believe that I will be faithful to you. I don't know it, and even more than that, I'm going to live as though it's true. I'm going to trust in you. So it's an intellectual assent and trust. And so as we move through the Apostles' Creed and we say, I believe, we're first saying, I intellectually assent to these ideas, I affirm them and believe them to be true. And more than that, I trust them. And I want to play with those two ideas, assent and trust again and again. So the first thing that we say as we affirm the Apostles' Creed is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We assent to the idea that we are not alone in the universe. The universe is not cold, dark, and empty. There is something a force beyond the universe and even more than that there's a force that reveals itself through scripture to be a loving god we don't believe we're alone we don't believe that the universe is empty and we don't believe that god is a cold nameless force but instead a revealing force that reveals love grace and mercy to us and then more than that of course we believe that god the loving the lord the father almighty created heaven and earth. Earth and the universe was made in order and thoughtful intention. Life wasn't born out of chaos or violence. We believe a thing about the universe. We intellectually assent to that idea. But even more than that, we say, I believe in God. Not I believe about God. And that means I put my trust in God. I put my hope in this loving Father. I believe that he loves and cares for me. That's the first statement, and that might be for many of us an easy statement, though the father part may have some tension for us. We may have uh, bad relationships or or distant fathers, and saying "I believe" to be or "I believe God is the Father Almighty" that might be challenging for us. But there's an invitation to see him as the perfect loving father, and to put our trust and hope there. And then it moves from father to son. Then we get very specific about Christianity, because non-Christians, we or people that aren't Christian, they could say they believe in God. They could say they believe in God as a father and creator. But here we go into the deep doctrine of our faith. We say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day of He rose again from the dead. Now, there's a lot going on in this statement, and I wish I could explore all of this. And if you want to, well, catechism is actually built around the Apostles' Creed, and we're running it right now, chat with Rob. Um, But there's there's two things I want to focus on. First is our Lord, and the second is suffered under Pontius Pilate. And I'm going to start with Pilate. Because saying Pontius Pilate in our creed is very interesting because we're referring to a very specific moment, time, and place in history. Pilate and Mary are the two names that come up in both the Apostles and Nicene Creed, and we are referring to history. We say that Pontius Pilate was a figurehead leader of the Roman Empire, serving in Israel at a specific time in history, and Jesus suffered under him. And so our faith is first an intellectual ascent to a moment in history. We believe that Jesus was not a myth or a legend. And we're also not saying that we believe in an ism, a theory, a concept. We're believing in a historical moment that occurred. Jesus living under the oppression of the Roman Empire in the first century AD in Israel. We intellectually assent to that idea. And then we move on, and earlier we say, Jesus, our Lord. And this is another poll on Roman history, because the Jewish people, or the Roman people, they would say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is the most important thing in Rome, religiously and politically. We give our affiliation and our allegiance to him. But here on Sunday, we make a revolutionary religious and political statement. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Not the president, not the prime minister, not my own needs or desires, not my stomach or my sexual appetite, not a karmaic law. No, Jesus takes the first and most important place in our life. We submit to his authority as Lord. And it's unique that we say Jesus is Lord and not God is Lord because we know, we believe, that Jesus is, is God on earth. And we refer to that and put our trust and hope in it. So saying we believe in Jesus, there's an intellectual ascent to history. But even more than that, there's an invitation to trust in Jesus our Lord. To submit to his rule and reign in our life. To follow what he teaches and his path of death and resurrection. Are you with me? And though I would love to talk about the descent into hell and the virgin birth, there's a lot of beauty there. And there's a great Roger Revel, Equip and on the descent to hell. Link, I'll link it to you if you're interested. But we believe something about history. We believe something happened that changed the course of history that we can put our trust, our hope, and our belief in. That's what we're saying as we say, I believe in Jesus Christ. And then finally, we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. You'll notice this Trinitarian movement through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And we list five more things after. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. And at first, it feels like, at the end, they're like, wait, wait, wait. We've got a couple more things we got to say we believe. Just throw them all in at the end. And that's not actually what's happening. When we say, first, we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, which means that when Jesus died resurrected and ascended. He did not leave us alone. He sent his paraclete, his spirit, to come and minister to us. We believe God is still present today and throughout history through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And these last five things, they're not random. They are how God is working and what he is going to bring about. They're how the spirit is moving and what he is leading towards. Let me explain this. So we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Holy Catholic Church. This doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church, though it includes the Roman Catholic Church. Catholic means universal. All church, despite denomination or location or background, all churches that are claiming to the Apostles and Nicene Creed, they're caught up in the Holy Catholic Church. And we believe that the Spirit is at work in the Church. And I've got to be honest, as I've been reflecting on this, that might be the wildest claim we make in the Creed. We can assent to an idea that there's God. We can point to a moment in history, but God works through the church. He's here right now working through us, and that's crazy because, I mean, you and I are here. That's the joke, right? Like, God is saying that he works through you and me, and we are pretty broken and messed up people, if I'm honest. Like, St. Peter's, you're wonderful, you're beautiful, but let's be honest, we're pretty prickly in a number of different ways. If we look at the church, it's filled with bloodshed and violence. It's filled with fighting and destruction. It's filled with hurt. I've been hurt by the church, and I assume many of you have as well. So to say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, that might be the biggest leap of faith for us. Somehow God is here working in us, working through us, redeeming us as the communion of saints throughout all of history. The Holy Spirit is doing something. And then the communion of saints, that's all Christians throughout history, we are reunited, as, or we're united as brothers and sisters. Our background, our race doesn't matter. We are brought together through the Holy Spirit. And the thing that it's doing is it's bringing about the forgiveness of sins. Of course, forgiveness of sins happened on the cross, where our sins were forgiven, but it's happening every single day. The Spirit is working through us, forgiving our sins, and at the same time inviting us to forgive others' sins. We can intellectually assent to the idea that my sins are forgiven, but we have to put our trust in it and we do it through how we forgive other people. People will hurt you. People will wound you. People will wrong you. They'll do it at church. And we're invited through the Holy Spirit into the forgiveness of sins. And the thing that the Spirit is bringing is the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting. As I said before, heaven is the end. Heaven is important, but it's not the end of the story. Resurrection of the dead and life everlasting is where we are moving, and that means physical, bodily resurrection. Death and decay are not the end of our stories. And I've been thinking through this, and it's embarrassing to say that just this week I came to a surprising conclusion as I realize that every week I I proclaim the resurrection of the dead will occur. I believe one day I will hug my mom again. I believe one day my friend Mark, who died in grade 10, I'll be reunited with. Because the resurrection of the dead, it's not living in the clouds. It's not a theory. It's not a fairy tale. I put my trust in it. I hope it. I believe that the Spirit is working to redeem the world and bring about the resurrection and the redemption of all things. Nuclear fallout is not how our world will end. The sun exploding is not how our world ends. No. Resurrection of all things. Life everlasting. As Christians, we attest to this, and that might be a hard belief. And yet we're invited, we in to say it and believe it a little bit more and a little bit more. And we're, ex- we're invited to live it out in our own lives. Resurrection is something that will happen. But it's also something that can happen in the here and now through forgiveness of sins, through the Catholic, the holy Catholic Church. Resurrection is occurring. The darkest moments are not the end of our story. This world is not the end. New life is coming. And every week we attest to this. We intellectually assent to it, and we're invited to trust it. And so every week we say these things. The Spirit is working in this way. Will you believe it? Will I believe it? Every week we gather and say these words, and maybe, just maybe, we'll believe it a little bit more each and every week. Because Paul invites us to believe these things in our heart and confess them with our lips. Salvation, the release of of slavery, occurs through the confession and belief in these words. And it's hard. Because we don't know for sure. We could be wrong. But we believe. We put our trust and hope in it. And I love what Paul says at the end of Romans. He says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Each week we say these words, and we say them to believe them ourselves. But we also say them so that we learn to say it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. We learn to begin sharing our faith, believing it in our actions so that others see it. I had a really interesting moment this week. Um, An old coworker that I worked with like five, six years ago sent me an Instagram message. And she said, Hey, I know this is really random. I just wanted to reach out and apologize because I used to make fun of you and call you Pastor Phil. It was a very common nickname at Cactus for me and then became true again. But she's like, I used to make fun of you by calling you Pastor Phil but I just became a Christian, and I just got baptized, and I've been thinking about how I made fun of you for years. And, like, I didn't really, like, I told people I was a Christian. I lived it out. I didn't do much to show her, like, I didn't tell her all my beliefs. And yet, she became a Christian recently, like, thank the Lord, because she heard. She heard from me. She heard through other people, and she was preached to. And so as we pray these words, we say them, we're saying both to ourselves, I want to believe them, and to the people around us, we think there's life in these words. And if someone asks you on Monday or Tuesday, well, what do you believe? The truth is you say it every single week. You have language for what you believe. And you have the opportunity to share it. And you only believe because someone once preached it to you so the invitation on Monday and Tuesday and the rest of the week is, who is waiting to hear these words from you? Who is is waiting to hear these words from you? So I have a homework assignment for everyone in the room. Will you do homework? I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. Will you do it? Okay, for one week, for one week, either in your morning daily offices or at 12-12 prayer, or if you're not doing any of those, just at a random point in the day, write down the Apostles' Creed. Top to bottom, write through the whole thing. It shouldn't take you long. And as you write it, and I'm going to do this too, but as you write it, ask, do I believe this? Do I intellectually assent to these statements? And even more than that, do I put my trust in it? Because I say it on Sundays. I practice it again and again on Sundays, but maybe we need a little more reps for the week. And as you, as you pray it through the day, as you write it down, as you ask, do I believe this? Ask, who should I be sharing this with? Because we're shaped to be a believing people, and as James puts it, belief, faith only matters if you're living it out in the end. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith with my deeds. And it's not that you earn your salvation through what you do, but it's you only truly believe something once it's coming out of you once it's revealing itself and its life in you. So I invite you, believe it. Question it. Is it true? Because if it's not, we shouldn't believe it. But if it is, we should. So for one week, I challenge everyone in this room, write down the Apostles' Creed seven times, once for every day, and each day ask, do I believe this? And I'm going to be checking on you guys. We'll check in. But there's an invitation for us to become a believing people. And it's not easy. Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. But the ocean's a scary place. Help me with my unbelief. So with that, let me pray.